2: 23 of the highly relevant podcast Atlanta Act Show where I interview the people and discuss the moments that are shaping our American and Latino pop culture. Well, this week is a special episode for me because I'm interviewing someone that I've been wanting to interview for a very long time and we were looking for the right moment and this is right moment my guest today is Juan do he is one of the hottest comic book creators in the industry right now and he also happens to be a childhood friend of mine he is debuting his first graphic novel as a writer called bad reception with aftershock comics and it's a thought-provoking look at celebrity fame and the dark side of social media set against a slasher horror story how awesome right well, the opening of the story is groundbreaking. It's a 10-page cinematic blitz on paper with nothing but words, darkness, and blood. But before I talk to JD, it's time to give you my weekly pop culture news recap in a segment I like to call Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. It's official. Matrix 4 is officially coming to a theater near you with stars Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss returning. Robert Rodriguez has cast Priyanka Chopra for a kid superhero movie at Netflix called We Can Be Heroes. Marvel will no longer have Spider-Man. Sony will create their own franchise. And the movie adaptation of Fantasy Island starring Michael Pena will have a Valentine's Day 2020 release. In TV news, Maria Celeste Arraraz appeared on the Today Show to discuss her El Secreto de Selena on Telemundo. Bethany Frankel announced her departure from Bravo's Real Housewives of New York. ABC News says that Univision's Jorge Ramos will co-moderate the network's Democratic candidate debate next month. And James Corden has signed a new deal to keep the Late Late Show on CBS through August 2022. Switching over to music, Taylor Swift will re-record her original six albums again as an F.U. to Justin Bieber's manager, Scooter Braun. Camila Cabello and Sean to perform Senorita for the first time at the BMAs. Maluma and J Balvin announce Que Pena collaboration and Mexican Cumbia artist Celso Pina dies at the age of 66. And in tech and social media news, Netflix is investing in technology to automate movie and television trailers. Apple warns you may permanently discolor your Apple Card if it's stored in leather. Instagram doesn't own your photos, but they can still use them forever. And Sirius XM announces a $4 streaming plan for students.
0: There's a new study out that's warning of the possible deadly consequences for teens using social media.
1: Society has been gradually darkened by this scheme in which everyone is under surveillance all the time.
0: I see a lot of criticism towards me on social media. Many adolescents having to confront the daily realities of new age pressures, from cyberbullying to modern dating. If
2: you're into comic books today, you know the name Juan Do. He's illustrated dozens of covers in comics for Marvel, DC, and is currently the artist for the hit comics Dark Ark and Strayed. Many of you might know him for drawing the still-relevant Latinx Marvel 2007 comic Fantastic Four Isla de la Muerte, which took place in Puerto Rico, and it was edited by our good friend Alejandro Arbona. He now debuts his first graphic novel as a writer called Bad Reception. I welcome Huando to the highly relevant podcast. How's it going, man? We finally made it happen.
1: Jack. Thank you, man. Thank you for 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 having me. That's, That's it. I've peaked. I am officially highly relevant.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot for the pun, man. So listen, you uh, you 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 I, I know you because I know you since you were a kid. Uh but Huando, does anyone do you want people to know your real name or what's the relationship between your stage name and your real name? Well, uh, I mean, look. To
1: be quite honest, it it is the name that I use when it comes to this kind of work, you know. So it's very much like a performer, uh, a circus performer, or a magician, (laughs) right? Right. You know, who who uses his stage name and and does work under that. Uh, So yeah, I have a real name and a human name, and it's out there, and you can go find it if you decide to do the research. But for the purposes of what I'm doing as as a creator, you know, Wando fits perfectly and it reflects uh, exactly what I like to do.
2: And how did you end up electing the name Juan to be part of your persona?
1: Uh, it was just one of these inside jokes between me and some friends a long time ago now, almost 20 years ago, um, you know, and it just kind of stuck. You know, we someone called me Juan because I used to disappear a lot. And, <laughs> <you know. laughs> the John Doe. Yo, yeah, where's so, John Doe? The then, anonymous uh, Actually, that's exactly how it started. Someone said, "Yo, man, you're like a John Doe," and then my other friend said, "Yeah, like a Juan (laughs) Doe, the Latino version." Yeah, we just started like (laughs) cracking up, (laughs) and then uh, so like the the name was kind of like in my little universe. And then a quick story: like someone visited my my art studio and they saw some of the work that I was doing at the time, and then they actually asked me what my name was, and I told them. And, and they were like, well, don't you think because of your name that you should do artwork that's related to your culture? And I thought that was just the silliest thing because I was doing artwork related to my culture because I'm from New York, I'm from America. So I, I realized there how people actually do prejudge you based on your name and they have all these assumptions. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think at that point I decided, well, you know what? I'm going to take on this Wando moniker almost as a way to honestly to say you know f you to anyone who wants to judge me by by my name and it was the idea that i can sort of be anonymous while defining uh, an actual name for myself right I, i thought that was pretty interesting
2: so before we get to how these cultural sort of filters in society have informed the way you do your own art uh let's quickly get into the, the the business of bad reception man because i'm really okay. excited about this um awesome <laughs> i've been with you on the on the down low on 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 helping you organize your thoughts when bad reception was happening you were in tokyo and i remember when you first pitched me the idea for this story and i was just like my my jaw dropped because i don't really see that in the media period. So tell everybody, uh, what bat reception is and where did the idea to create bat reception come from?
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, you said it perfectly, you know, it is a techno horror thriller. Uh, it's a story about, you know, smartphone addiction and it's about nomophobia, which is the the fear of no mobile phones. And it's also about a, it's a survival story you know so the the origin the actual origin of bad reception was really over 10 years ago hmm. and it was just like a like like a silly idea and at the time a lot of the pieces were the same it was a, it was about a wedding it was but it was like off the grid and no one was were was going to have phones but at the time i think i remember the hook being like literally because reception was bad you know because we didn't have 4g and 5g and lte networks you know like you know the the phone and the smartphone was was becoming ubiquitous but we still needed to build out that that infrastructure Mm -hmm. so at the time it was more of a of a sort of b-movie joke about oh man my cell phone doesn't work and the killer is hunting me and i can't call for help (laughs) you know so you know but it wasn't anything that had any any teeth i thought it was just more of like And you know me that we come up with ideas all the time. Right. And it was just kind of filed into the, the archives. Uh, but then cut, you know, to 2018, you know, which is when, when I, I conceived of the pitch. And obviously the whole global communication system of the world has, has pretty much, you know, become uh, part of the, the 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 general mass and reveal are, are the dark using.
2: side that we didn't know at the of, any sure. of this right sure
1: because we, we didn't have social media in that capacity uh, the way we do today so i think today we have uh, much more examples um what these devices are doing and and obviously it's the big Cultural elephant in the room is social media, right? It's it's almost the number one topic, and it doesn't matter what industry you're in. Social media is having an effect one way or another in how these these processes are are, uh, are being aligned.
2: So, what about the genre aspects of this?
1: That's just a way to drive home some of the points that I want to make with the book. Uh, which again, it's it's you, we're taking celebrities. Who are uh, very highly active on social media, who are invited to this celebrity wedding, but they have to give up their phones and basically spend time with each other. And and I think today that sounds almost
2: very uncomfortable, man. Today in two thousand nineteen, yeah,
1: exactly. So the the idea of asking someone to give up their phone for
2: (laughs) any it's like giving up their own kid, man.
1: Yeah, no, no, man. I, I mean, and listen, uh, I've even had some examples with you when, when we've gone to like some movie screenings. I don't think they do it as much today, but I remember going a, a couple times with you, and these people would take your phones, put it in a bag, and then right. you go in to watch a movie. And I think you and I went into the bathroom and put our phones in our <laughs> socks because I was like, dude, I am not giving up my phone for <laughs> any reason. And this was like maybe the second generation of the iPhone. You know, it's not even like what it is today. So I think to, in today's landscape. That's almost like you know. It's almost offensive to oh, ask someone to, to, to I, give up their phone. And you kind of alluded to it when I when I repitched bad reception to you when I was in Tokyo. We were talking, and I think that was like in real time too. Like like we were just kind of thinking about it. And I was like, "Yo, it would be interesting to take this idea of like celebrity wedding and and, and people who are addicted to the smartphones and kind of take it away from them, uh, and then that's sort of." The, the genesis of, of this idea because I started doing research and I learned about this, uh, uh, this phobia called nomophobia which is already primed to be one of the, like, the major phobias of the 21st century which is that the wow. fear of no mobile phone and there's already been studies in the, in the UK and in, in the US, and, and many of us already suffer from some form of this. You know, whether it's the constant checking of your emails or your notifications, or constantly worried if your phone is charged, or always worried about somewhere to charge it. You know, so these phobias and these fears are, are something that are already here in our in our society. So I thought it was kind of interesting to interplay this fear of no mobile phone with real primal fear and that's where this horror part comes in where we have you know an unnamed killer going around you know basically hunting these these celebrity guests and i think that's sort of the interplay there like here's like some real fear uh you know contrasted against your fear of like no mobile phone and it's within that space that i'm really having basically a lot of fun trying to figure out how some of these characters would act and react to this kind of situation
2: Why did it take so long for you to have the confidence in yourself to tell this story now? Uh, Honestly, it it could just be like
1: a natural state of evolution, you know, where I was very comfortable just drawing comic books and working with great writers, uh, especially like the last four or five years of my career. Um, But I think, you know, I am an artist. I feel like I do have something to say and I have. You know, my own interests. Uh, it never really hit me that hey, I could just write and draw my own stuff. You know, uh, but we've seen obviously we're living in the era of the the comic book as sort of the launching pad for a lot of these great IPs and media stories that that that, that we're getting, whether they're film or TV. Um, we're, we're seeing that that the comic book springboard is is really vibrant, and I think that's interesting to me, where you can go into a space and basically write a story and draw a story and you don't really have a budget your <laughs> it, only budget is your imagination right, right? so That's that George very, very-
2: R. R. R Martin sort of like uh, massive scale Guillermo del Toro it's like you know what your imagination doesn't have a budget
1: <laughs> yeah yeah you know which is why he was able to sort of just throw himself into into his novels because again there is no no budget and I think it, it, within the comic book space it's very similar you know, where there's a lot of people that have great ideas, you know, but they're always looking for an artist. And for me, it was like, wait a minute, this is a great idea. Oh, and I can draw what, you know, oh man, this is like (laughs) awesome. All the resources are there. (laughs) Exactly. So I think it just kind of clicked. And I I think I felt also, you know, I just wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to try to, to, to do something that existed outside of my comfort zone. Um, and you know, like the, the writing thing and Obviously, between us, you probably know, like I've always been interested in writing. It's just not something I've, I've put out there and I don't think it's something that I'm necessarily known I've for. I've always
2: thought you were you were an ace when it comes to writing. I mean, I've read, you know, just stuff that you had messing around. And I'm like, dude, this dude has a very unique voice. I'm dying to see it on the, on, you know, on the, uh, on, on the comic graphic novel platform
1: yeah no, no, and and I think I was sort of given the, the the perfect opportunity to uh to to try my hand at that. you know, we came up with the pitch for for bad reception. I wrote it out I, I wrote like the opening scene and then even I sort of felt like, oh, this is like really interesting, you know like the, there's a different paradigm when you're writing something uh, as opposed to drawing something. It's also a writer's
2: business, a writer's industry, yeah. you know, compared uh, to I, I... before.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, and 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 I I've had this conversation with with uh, some of my artist friends, you know, we're trying to figure out sort of like what really makes a great comic book is it the writer or is it the artist, is it both, you know, and it's somewhere within a combination of all of that. You know, like right now in comic books, it's safe to say that the writer pretty much is king. And that's almost the same whether it's film, television, If if you're the one that's coming up with the with the stories and doing the the universe building and the the character portrayals, you know you're pretty much God, right? Like Mm. like that's what you're doing. You're you're building out these universes, Uh, so and that's a very powerful thing, you know. And then you get the whole you know crew of people to come and help you visualize it, whether it's artists or filmmakers, uh, directors, you know. So it's it's a very interesting place to be where the, the the writer is the one sort of really. You know, making the moves and in narrative industries right now.
2: So let's get people salivating, man. Let's talk about the story. I, I, I fucking love this story, man, because a <laughs> it really speaks a lot to my own personal consumption of social media, my relationship with my own phone, um, and after the Facebook Cambridge uh, privacy um, stories that have come out in the news. It's really a very dark place for social media today none of our data and our privacy is really taking well care of uh, and I feel like this story really sums up what's happening in the world right now with technology tell me tell me the tell me about the characters and how you came up with these characters are they based on real life for you are they all fictionalized how did you get into the minds and heads of these characters
1: uh, yeah yeah I mean, I think one of the things that I that that, that I'm learning uh, as I'm developing these characters is that, and I think this happens to, to most of us when we invest in any kind of story and we invest in these characters, we tend to view them as if they're people. And and, I, and it kind of dawned on me, I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm not writing people. Mm. I'm writing char- characters, you know, and characters there's a big difference. Characters to me are a distilled version of all of the expectations that we want out of people. So when oh. we write characters, we're not writing human beings, and I think a lot of people get sort of mixed up with that. You know, when you have a lot of sort of fandom, they get angry at things, or they get angry because this character would never do that in real life, and, and you see it play out over and over. Whether it's a like Star Game of Thrones and Snow, Game of right. Thrones, exactly, and, and I think part of it is that the audience, you know, hasn't made that sort of relationship gap yet you know that haven't closed that, that gap where like right? where where they think they're really looking or hearing about people but they're not these are proxied versions of humans right and w- we do our best to put them in situations so that we can tell some kind of interesting narrative so that kind of really helped me loosen myself up, you know, and not put that pressure. I'm like, oh, I got to write these humans to be perfectly human because the whole point of, of writing characters is that the, people are unpredictable, you know? So if you take a set of, 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 of variances and kind of put it all together, you can get some really interesting things. With this particular story, I was like, okay, we have the most followed celebrity on social media. Her name is Gaia She's a multi-hyphenate. She's an actor, a singer, a, a, a performer. Uh, she's just incredibly talented. She does movies and 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 Broadway shows. So she's albums. like a
2: Selena Gomez means like what J Lo at the same time. Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, take any of the the you know four or five top celebrities and kind of soup them up, put them together. And we have Gaia, you know, uh, but she's an artist. She, she, she truly wants to express herself as an artist. So she's had a lot of, uh, uh, you know, turmoil in her career because that's just what, what comes along with being, you know, the most followed person on social media. So within our story, you know, she, she comes across this book that's making the rounds in this alternate universe. And it's a book called hashtag off the grid. Uh, and it's written by a New York Times bestselling author. He's a, a techno ethicist. His name is <laughs> Blaise Bordeaux Davis. You know he's he's highly intellectual. he's a he's a person who is suggesting a way for people to sort of connect with their human selves a bit. And part of that is to go off the grid, to 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 take some time away from your digital devices. Go into nature, go camping. you know, sort of build a relationship with the world around you. And more importantly, do that with other human beings, right? So uh, she comes across this book. It, it 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 helps her tremendously. You know, one thing leads to another. They end up meeting, and now they're like basically a power couple,
2: you know. Mm. And, and,
1: and they're the ones who are getting married. And then they want to have a very intimate wedding, not like a big blowout celebrity royal wedding kind of event. So they decide to go off the grid. They, she makes this announcement to her hundreds of millions of, of fans. Uh, they're going to an undisclosed location. They're inviting a handful of guests, and there will be no digital devices allowed at the wedding. And that, that's basically the genesis of, of where our story is going to begin and how these characters, who are all suffering from nomophobia, <laughs> all of them, all of them. And they're all basically at different levels of... of, of the celebrity scale, right? You know, these are, <laughs> these are not just like regular Joes, you know, with a, with a couple of you know, 50, 60 followers. They all have a certain amount of followers that they fit a criteria in that. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it, and I think it also plays to the fact that life has become a popularity contest. It really has. It really has, you know, it's even now in the most basic social settings, if you go out and you meet someone and then you check out their Instagram or their Twitter or whatever, it's one of the first things you notice, you know? And if you see that they have X amount of followers, it's probably going to to sway a little bit of how you feel about them. Oh, this guy is somebody. (laughs) That so sucks
2: to hear it like the way you're saying it, but you're absolutely right, man. Like you meet someone and all of a sudden someone's Instagram you just to see what your power cachet and, and social mm-hmm. status ranking is, you know, and see, well, may I'll be your friend depending on how many followers you guys like. What? What uh, about just me being me and making mm-hmm. you feel good? Nah, dude, mm-hmm. that's not the way I play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> so, a little I mean, scary to hear it like that, man. It, it's
1: scary, and I guess you know you, can, you you can imagine it from the standpoint of you know, young people, like right? you know, kids who are in junior high school or high school, where there's right. already that pressure to feel relevant, to feel popular, and now we have these these devices that give you an actual data score on that, that, that actually show you, hey, X is this or that. So, you know, it, it's it's fearful in some ways, and it's, I, I mean, I have no idea. I mean, I'm an older guy. I'm not necessarily part of the, the social media generation. I absolutely respect it and I understand it because this is just how the world is right now. You know, So you, you can't sit around and say, oh, I hate social media. That's that's not really a, a proper thing to say because social media is just the word to describe human interactions. It's just that we have a, a data set for it now. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what's interesting is that does that data set uh, – is it quantifiable in a way that changes how you act or behave towards, towards one another? And I think that's where we're all in as a, as a people, as a, as a society – you know, it's like if, if, like even people of, of our generation, right? We, we we've had this conversation, like, dude, you got to be on social media, right? You got to be out there promoting your work and this and this and that, or else it's not going to be relevant. Uh, so I think all of us are dealing with 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 this kind of you know social anxiety because that's all, how how I feel about it. Like I feel like, oh man, if I'm not putting stuff up on social media, I'm irrelevant, and obviously that's not the case. But so we we have to work within all of that.
2: What is your relationship with social media from the get go? Uh, from 2007 when the iPhone first came out and the app started to come out and Twitter, etc., until today. Like for example, you don't have a Facebook page. And it wasn't until really recently that you started getting into Instagram. Why have you been so guarded against social media? It's, it's a practical thing.
1: I ju- I'm not wired that way. It's, it's not a, a choice. It's like the way that I work, the way that I function, the the, the things that are in my life, Uh, Are prioritized over having to take time to oh I should post this or I should say this on 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 social media. So uh, I think it's just a matter of like age, (laughs) you know, but I do understand that it's an important tool uh, to have at your disposal, especially if you're an artist or you're a creator and you're trying to put out content, you know, companies don't do that for you anymore. You know, the the companies now expect you to kind of come in with your set of followers and and your own way of marketing and branding your stuff. Uh, And that's kind of how it's, everywhere now you know i mean i'm not on facebook you know i mean there's a gazillion reasons why you know but they bought instagram so no matter what my data is within the facebook network you know instagram for me is maybe the the best platform simply because it's a visual medium and and i enjoy drawing and i enjoy posting up like pictures and stuff like that uh you know twitter is good for me to Put you know, post news about stuff that I'm doing, you know. But but the one thing that I don't really use social media for is to have active conversations about things. You know that I still prefer sit on the phone with you and, and talk about stuff. You know, I, I don't feel comfortable saying anything because you're you're kind of speaking into a vacuum. Yet right. this vacuum is full of a million opinions and thoughts, and it's to me it's just too much noise, man. It's it's just a matter of and it can get toxic. Me, focus. That's it. Yeah. I mean, look. Yes, uh, you know, you, you can say one little thing and forget about it. Your your world could literally change overnight.
2: Gaia is from New York, but she's also Latina. She's like yes. Latinx, modern, uh, and sort of like the evolution of 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 a Latino in America. You know, it's the American dream while she's still maintaining her culture, kind of like Jenny uh, on the block, on the you know, on the six train when she was mm-hmm. blowing up, but she still felt ours. Right, Um, she's diverse, and you don't see as many diverse female lead characters in comic books as much. It's not as historically uh, traditional. Uh, Why did you decide to make her uh, diverse?
1: Yeah, I mean, some of that comes from my own experiences. So, you know, Gaia is a New Yorkeran from Spanish Harlem. Uh, you know, she went to, <clears throat> you know, LaGuardia School of Arts. She's always been into art. Uh, she was exposed to a lot of that when she was young. And I think that's something that New York does offer, you know, and, and, and I can use that for myself. You know, I'm from New York. I'm New York I'm from Spanish Harlem. So that there's definitely a, a proxy there for, for myself and some of the experiences that I went through as an artist where I learned so much in New York City about being an artist and, and 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 expressing myself. So I just kind of took that, you know, and upped up, you know, the whole uh, levels of that so that we have a character that really made it and really blew up and, and is super successful. And it's not even that far of a stretch, you know, when you look at guys like Lin Manuel Miranda, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 it's, it, there are, a tremendous amount of people that are multi-talented in many, many different facets all working in the entertainment industry. So uh, I think my character is diverse, but not so impossible
2: to imagine
1: um, that that they can come from that.
2: I grew up reading comic books where every character was white. I rarely (laughs) saw a diverse character, but it didn't necessarily affect the way I read that comic book. I didn't hate it because the characters were white and they didn't relate to me. There was this like, Growing up and watching Growing Pains on TV and reading Captain America on a comic book, and everybody was white. The world was white to me. And never did I question that until I got much older, and I guess I wanted to get into the business, and I noticed there was the resistance aspect of that. And I go, oh, wow, okay. So there is some judgment against someone like me. But for comic books, does diversity really matter in the storytelling process, Is it going to make someone buy a comic book uh, that they weren't going to buy before just because the characters are diverse? What is your opinion uh, on diversity within the comic book industry?
1: From my my experience, man, I've been really fortunate to know a very wide, diverse cloth of, you know, people from all over the place you know so it's, it's never relegated to just one kind of person or one one kind of et- ethnicity or whatever to me my whole experience has always been working with people that are diverse in a very organic way it's not that I'm going to go out and seek someone who's a particular uh, race or anything like that you know that's not to say that comic books doesn't have any, you know, like any other media industry, you know, representation is important, you know, to, to show more of what the world is, is, is truly like. So I think just, I can only speak for myself, from my personal experience, you know, I'm from New York city, you know, every single day I'd go out to school, to work and every other face is a person from a different country, a different uh, ethnicity. It's just very natural for me to feel that the world is diverse And of course, it wasn't until I was older that I got to travel a lot and you kind of see that there are, you know, uh, borders, you know, that that, that there are people who have biases against other races and other ethnicities, you know, so it's a difficult thing to kind of process. But, you know, all I can do is control the kind of stories that I tell within my purview and my universe. I never make a choice based on that. I I always, I truly always care about the product, the story, the narrative. You know, and I kind of work within those guidelines. And for me, it's just a natural thing to think diversely because mm. that's who, who I am. It's it's I don't have to force that. You know, it's always about, it's like cooking, man. It's like got all these awesome spices and, and recipes and put them all together and make all kinds of delicious meals, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's the same thing for me creatively and narratively.
2: What's the ultimate goal with this comic? Is it that you want to leave a message in society so society can change and maybe change their social media habits? Or is this more of an adventure that you're having with this particular story and whatever happens, happens?
1: Yeah, totally. Totally an adventure. Yeah, yeah. I, I would never <laughs> think that I had really anything to, to say or to tell society or to tell you know, people on this, on this planet you know, I'm I'm just having a blast sort of living within this universe and, and messing around with what some of these characters are doing. And that does have some relation to what we're doing in the real world, right? You know, but ultimately I'm I'm trying to have fun, I'm trying to tell a cool story. You know, I, I do kind of want to express myself. And I think the comic book medium and the fact that I'm able to write it and to illustrate it really hits all those points for me and, and, and allows me to maximize those those pleasure points that I really look for when I'm telling a story.
2: How would you sum up the overall experience of creating and writing and being the author of your first comic? I mean, what does that mean for you emotionally? What does that mean for you when you look it back, you know, in retrospect of the years you've contributed such great art to the industry? Um, was this a fascinating time doing this? Did you struggle through to, to get to this? Uh, are you a better artist because of this comic book now, because of this experience?
1: I think for 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 me, it was an incredible experience because normally I'm used to just, I get a script and everything is there for me. And all I have to do is sit down and draw it and illustrate it. And and I'm really good at that. And I'm very comfortable doing that. Uh, but this is a completely different animal. You know, building this universe out from uh, scratch was was very challenging, but really satisfying, you know, to the point where uh, I don't know if I, you know, even am interested in working on other stuff anymore other than things that I come up with, you know, because I'm, I'm able to exact such control that that's something that's that's very powerful, you know. Um, and I think I, I even felt it when I was really finishing up the script for Bad Reception. I absolutely felt this sense of like, I am a god. <laughs> <I'm writing laughs> right, because you're creating can, some
2: life or something within yeah, these yeah, pages. Yeah,
1: can, absolutely, and, and I think that probably sums it up you know i think all artists when they make stuff they're in essence creating life you know life of this image of the of this this visual that's going to go out there so it's it's very much in the dna of an artist to bring things to life to birth images uh and i think in in this case using the words and images was just a, a more attuned frequency of that you know where I, where i felt like any little thing i can work out and i can fix it with the words and then complement it with the art so it's it's quite liberating you know to, to be able to have that much control you know like whether or not it succeeds you know it's a different story you know but the process itself I, I definitely felt like this is something that I want to continue to do and hopefully it's the beginning of You know, because now all of a sudden I have tons of ideas for stories that I want to tell, you know, and, and hopefully this will be a springboard to allow me to do that.
2: Bad Reception comes out August 21st. It's unlike any reading experience you'll ever have. Go pick it up. Bad Reception, August 21st. Thank you, brother. And before I get on out of here, here are three tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Caso no ves, mujer te veo y no me siento bien. No lo ves, Sebastián Romero. Eso <tose> es. Surfistas del sistema. Translate. Me gusta
0: cuando baila lento, pero también rápido. That means that I love
2: it when you shake it fast and shake it slow. Mami, piso 21 featuring the black eyed peas. Mami, eres dulce como azúcar. Yeah, baby, dale. dale. Tienes ese toque. And that's it for episode 123 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Juan Do for coming on the show. And if you like to support this podcast, please spread the love on social media and tell all your friends about it. You can reach me on Instagram at Jack Rico and my Facebook page at Jack Rico 40 Remember, it's only through your support that our show can grow. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant.